Hi. <laughs> Welcome back. This is Literary Laughing episode. We don't know. We don't know. I almost said eight. It feels eight? like eight, but is it eight? That might be wrong. It's it's sometime in November. I got that much. Yeah, I think this would be about Thanksgiving. No, I think it's the last episode in November. Okay. Well, we hope you had a good Thanksgiving or we're wishing you a happy Thanksgiving. As we said, we usually put these a couple ahead. And so we've lost track a little bit about which week this is coming out. Yes. Anyways, I'm Laura. And I'm Amy. (laughs) This is Literary Laughing. (laughs) This is... (laughs) Our intros only get better with age, like vinegar. <laughs> Vinegar's great. I don't know what you're talking about. Vinegar is amazing. So, <laughs> I do have an update, so that way he can feel like he gets a shout out. My boyfriend listened to the Dueling Dukes, and he started making comments to me about, oh, do I smell like coffee? Yes. Yes. He's like, should I wear my pearl snaps? <laughs> I was like, I knew this was going to happen. I called this one. Everything that you wanted to happen has come to fruition. Mm-hmm. So this podcast is a podcast where we read random parts from random books and mm-hmm. laugh about them. You maybe are laughing along or rolling your eyes. I don't yeah. know. I mean, we really hope the books find something humorous. Sometimes they don't, like last week, and we have to talk about other parts of it, but that's yeah. literature. I guess that's the literary part. The good news is we're not a literary analysis podcast, so we try not to go too, too deep into that yes but um is this where we put in the warning about some of these things can be triggering um we talk about sex we talk about violence um was i mean we don't yeah it's not usually too too violent but sometimes it is that come up in adult books or not even adult books, just books, and may not be appropriate for children, or you may not want to hear it. Yeah. And if you don't want to hear it, you can always skip. Yes. We won't be offended because we won't know about it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Why do we not have any listeners? They're all skipping. Still counts as a listen. Thank you for clicking on us. Um, The format is we each pick a random book and we each select two readings from that book. We'll read one reading, then we'll read the back, then we'll talk about the title, the author, describe the front cover, then we'll read the second random reading. And usually then we pick a random page ourselves and read from it. And then the other person picks a random page number 
and reads from that. But last time we kind of mixed it up and read the last page as well. So I was actually thinking we could skip the random page and just read the last page. Oh, you like lit reading the last page? I kind of do because I feel <laughs> like it, it has a closure. The last page. I guess it'll be a surprise for me. Mm. I don't know. I feel like I feel like the other person selecting the page number is already a random page. Oh yeah, that's true. And I guess because we were kind of flipping through and trying to find different things. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um. Okay. I think it was your turn to go first. I think so. I was already gearing up for it a, a little bit like, all right, do I just dive into this? Please. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me, I don't know how deep I want to go into this to start off with. I felt Lazuli's curiosity withdraw, but her hand still held onto my arm, and she was still too much like Jewel when I looked at her, but not enough like her to keep me safe. We walked along the shadow of the high stone wall, private, discreet. It takes a lot of courage to be that close to someone most people would be afraid of, she said. I made a sound like a laugh that wasn't. She was more afraid of all of you, and she had more right to be. She was silent then, wondering whether she'd really understood me or whether I was leaving too much unsaid on purpose. My bare arm under her hand was slippery with sweat. The heat of the day seemed to breathe on us. I felt a tension rising in her that had nothing to do with the conversation. I felt it rising in me too, as I realized what it was. Is something wrong? She asked finally. I shook my head. I... Just a headache. Comes and goes. It's all right. I forgot I was supposed to be a man there. <laughs> but she led me to a wooden bench along the bright edge of the gardens and made me sit down. The air was filled with the hum of insects. Sometimes, if you rub your temples, just here, she murmured. I felt her fingertips against my sweating forehead, moving in slow, gentle circles. Her face, her hair, too familiar, her lips almost touching mine, the smell of flowers and sun-warm skin. Suddenly, I couldn't look away from her eyes because I could see all the way through to what lay behind them. Is that better? She murmured. She took her hands away, and that was worse. Yes, I mumbled. One hand still hovered, touching the white linen of the scar over my left eye. I dropped down to trace another jagged line along my ribs. Oh wait, it dropped down. <laughs> it dropped down to trace another jagged line along my ribs. You have a fine body, she said, but you haven't taken care of it. You should treat it more gently. It has to last for a long time. I know, my head wasn't the only part of it that ached now. When you're so young, you think that everything lasts. She looked away. No, I said, I know it doesn't. Lazuli, cat! I jerked around on the bench looking up. 
I could just see Elmir standing on the balcony of her study, staring straight down at us. Would you come inside, please? I pushed to my feet, the spell broken that had stopped time, stopped thought inside me. I left Lazuli there, backing away, until I could make myself turn and walk looking ahead toward the house. I went up the steps, through the door, into the cool, shadowy hall, blinking as I followed it to Elmir's study. My mind was still lost somewhere back along the path from the garden. I didn't know what Elmir was going to say to me. Worse, I didn't know how I was going to answer it. Ma'am, I said at last, my voice hoarse, as I stopped in her, in her doorway. Elmir turned away from the windows. She came towards me, silhouetted by the light. At first, I couldn't make out her expression, but, it, but I felt it. I don't know what you think you're doing here, she said, not even bothering with the usual polite pretensions. But you are not here to insinuate yourself into the private lives of this family. I will not have you using your telepathy, she said it like an obscenity, to take advantage of children or of a troubled woman who doesn't know what she wants. I felt my face burning. I wasn't, I broke off, realizing that it was no, no use. That true or not, nothing I could say would make any difference to her. And that was the worst part of all. I don't understand it, I said finally. What don't you understand? She kept the length of a long tabletop inlaid with stars between us and a wall of anger, contempt, fear. Why do the, sorry, why Jewel thought you loved her? She asked me to help you because she said you were the only one who ever loved her. That's the real reason I came here, because she asked me to. You must have hated her just, oh, whoops, that's a man. Let's reread that one. <laughs> what? I was listening to it, and I was like, oh, lesbian lovers, this is good. <laughs> Well, Jewel thought you loved her. She asked me to help you because she said you were the only one who ever loved her. That's the real reason I came here, because she asked me to. You must have hated her just as much as everyone else did. Her mouth worked. She wanted to blame me for the pain that was suddenly there inside her, but she couldn't. She turned away, looking at something across the room. Her husband's picture. She said her voice almost inaudible. Jewel was so helpless, so lost. She needed someone so much, someone who would love her unconditionally. She looked back at me and suddenly in her mind, there was an unwanted image of how I'd looked that first day as she'd left me standing there alone in the sunroom. Jewel was different. Yeah, I'll stop there. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to reorder the genders in my mind. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to, uh, because sometimes when there's not those dialogue tags, I, it's hard to yes. know exactly who's talking sometimes. Yes. I picked up this one book where there were no quotation marks, and I put it right back down because that also is really confusing to me when they don't mm -hmm. do quotation marks around the dialogue. I just feel very confused by it. Mm -hmm. I understand the reasoning sometimes, like you want it to seem like really quick and clipped of like who's talking when and da 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 and it, and it works sometimes, it's just other times it's way too confusing. 
Yeah. And I've read really thick books that have it and it does not add anything to the book. I've had to stop reading it because I'm so confused about where the dialogue stops and starts. And mm-hmm. But it's, you know, they're, they're art. <clears throat> okay. The back of the book. <clears throat> Cat, street punk, scion, telepath, kidnapped by an interstellar corporation and dragged to earth. Cat is forced to protect those he must he most hates, those who most hate him. The Tamings, a cyber augmented DNA incestuous clan of such wealth and power that their family arguments change the destiny of worlds. Now one Taming is a killer tar- a killer's target, but which? And who would dare? Seeking answer, Cat finds lies and savagery passion and atrocity trails that lead from crystal valleys to clubs for silver-skinned beauties from the homicidal enclaves of drug kings to a fantastic fanatics sorry to a fanatics pulpit from the hall of the assembly to a cyberspace hell seeking assassins cat discovers a mystery that can cost him his future his sanity his life because cat isn't a bodyguard he's bait is what? Bait. Oh, bait. I thought you said mate at first. So that I was Sorry. Saying, you don't know what, what that means. He's bait. <laughs> <laughs> so this book is called Cat's Paw. Cat with a K or a cat with a C? C. Cat's Paw. Like cat. Um... So the cover is a guy standing, you can tell he's in a city. It's like, looks like he's kind of in an alleyway to the side. There's stairs going down to it. And he's wearing a jacket with a lot, like a leather jacket that's a little bit open and it has like little metal spikes going down in and on the shoulders, there's some stuff there too. He has a wristband on. Then he also has like blonde, blonde hair, like that almost bleach blonde, spikyish hair. Wow. And he has well manicured eyebrows. And his eyes, they kind of look like cat eyes, but they're blue. He definitely looks like an 80s punk in the future. Please show me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he's making the C next to his head. Yeah, but it also kind of looks like he's doing like the cat thing where they just like yes. the back of their ear. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's just two fingers behind his ear. Yeah. Just in case you. Can you hear the fireworks in the background? I heard something. I just like, what is that? I'm so sorry. The country club near us is having a fireworks display for the next five oh, minutes. Splendid. I'm sure there's a duke there. <laughs> uh, okay, let me bring up my about the author. To this Joan here. D. something. Yeah, Joan D. Vinge. Yes. Bel- Vinge or Vince? Vin- Vinge. 
there's a definitely the okay wait Vinji Vinji I you're laughing but that is the last name it's spelled phonetically to the side Vinji Stop laughing. <laughs> I muted my microphone because these fireworks are a little bit crazy. <clears throat> it's like a... So uh, she was born in, on April 2nd in 1948 as Joan Carol Dennison. And she's been writing science fiction for a really long time. She uh, won the Hugo Award for her novel, The Snow Queen, and its sequels. She also has her series about Cat, Cat's Paw, um, and her Heaven's Chronicle books. She's also in, also is the author of the Random House books of Greek myths. But the big thing, oh, she was married. I mean, eh, I mean, it's not that big of a thing because it's just her. She was married to another science fiction author for a while named Werner. Werner Van G, and then she ended up marrying um, a science fiction editor named James Frankel. Um, the part that I thought was really interesting, on March 2nd, 2002, she was severely injured in a car accident that left her with minor but debilitating brain damage that, along with her fibromyalgia, left her unable to write. She recovered to, yeah, it's really sad, but she recovered to the point of being able to resume writing around the beginning of 2007. So she must have been going through so much therapy. Um, I can't even imagine. It's crazy. And her first new book after the accident is the 2011 novelization of the movie Cowboys and Aliens. So, which... I'm sorry. The, if you could write anything and it start and it has Daniel Craig in it and Harrison Ford and Olivia Wilde, I, wow, wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So she was part. Um, yeah. So she has a credit to that, but it says the story is not by her. So I don't know. Sorry, I keep getting distracted by that pile of smutty books behind you. You're trying to figure out what my smutty books are behind me? Trying <laughs> to ruin it? All I can see are the edges. Um, okay, so I don't know if this is... Oh. Oh, well, so yeah. So she had some part in that. Cowboys and Aliens. But I'm not exactly sure... Exactly what? Oh, she did the novelization of it. So it was like a graphic novel, and then she wrote the. Okay, got it. Okay. She wrote the novel version of it. Yep. So. Mm -hmm. Oh, my second reading, as you look at me expectedly. I'm just waiting to see what's next. 
You said and, uh, there was a scene that you were very uncomfortable with, so I'm waiting to hear it. Mm. Well, I'm going to read this one, and then if you want the other scene, we can slightly get into it. It's, oh, it's a lot. But first, cheers. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's me drinking a beer before getting into this. Okay. Auntie sick, Jero was sitting on the stairs as I came into the house. His face propped in his hands, his eyes shadowed, his thoughts dark. I stopped dead, pictures of poison or biocontamination strobing in my brain. Where is she? In the hospital? Eleanor had looked all right when I left the office with her, tired and depressed, but that wasn't surprising. I'd even watched her get into the secured private mod that would carry her straight here. He shook his head. She's just in her room. I guess she's asleep. She fainted or something when she came home. Sharon sent out meds to see her. They said it's just because of all the, he broke off. What happened, I mean, you know, and because she's old. They gave her some stuff. She has to rest. Like the way kids explain things. You know, the stuff, she's old. She's old. She's it's, old. You know, the doctor just said she's old. <laughs> I, I nodded relieved. But if Elnir had been depressed before, this wasn't going to make her feel any better. Thanks, I said. And started to pass, and started past him up the stairs. Stopped, looking back. Is your mother here? He twisted on the steps to look up at me. Why? He asked, a little too loudly. Just wondered, I shrugged, trying not to act like it mattered, and went up to my room. I stood looking out the window, feeling tired, flexing my sore hand. Maybe tomorrow I get it treated somewhere, like Aspen had told me to. I still had trouble realizing that I had the credit to fix things I didn't like. As I stood looking out in the darkness, it began to rain. It only rained at night here. The Tamings always fixed the things they didn't like. I heard Gyro come into my room behind me, like I'd known he would, sooner or later. The darkness behind his eyes hadn't been because Elmir was sick, so I had to do some... Sorry, I just burped. Excuse me. <laughs> so it had to be something else. I turned away from the windows, went to the bed, and sat down. What is it? What is it? I asked, even though I was pretty sure I knew. He opened his mouth, mouth, the words that he'd held bottled up inside him, ready to burst out. But still, he couldn't say them for a long minute. You, my mother, I mean, his hands flapped. Did you do that with my mother? I looked down at my own hands, resting across my knees. You mean, did I spend the night with her? I looked up at him again, and he nodded. His face got red. He'd expected me to deny it, even if it was true. Somehow the fact that I didn't look ashamed about it made him feel ashamed instead. He began to blink hard, his mouth trembled. Come here, I said. He came across the room. Sit down. He sat on the bed, keeping his distance, staring at the floor. How did you know? I asked. My mother, I saw her come out of your room the other morning, real early. She didn't know I saw her, and she acted so, 
different. His voice squeaks. That's <laughs> a poor kid. You know, I said, the first time I met her, you're damn near, you damn near acted like a pimp pushing her at me. No, I'm not saying it was your fault. As he looked up with sudden anger in his eyes, it just happened. I only wondered how come it bothers you so much now that it has, because of what I am? He shook his head, his jaw clenched. Very carefully, I let myself into his memory, looking for the answer he wouldn't give me. Because of what you saw at Argentine's Club? That's, the name is very intense. It's spelled R-G-E-N-T-Y-N-E. Argentines? Argentine? I don't know. Yeah, I'm just going with Argentine. Argentine's Club? Until that night, he looked, he, until that night, he'd been like any other kid, his curiosity about sex, practically an obsession. But then in five minutes, he learned more than he'd ever wanted to know. You think it was like that with your mother and I, with what your mother and I did? I felt my face pinch with his pain. This time he nodded, blushing again. Jiro, I broke off. What you saw there, that wasn't making love. That wasn't even good sex. More like rape. He looked at me now out of the corner of his eye. There is a difference. Are you going to marry my mother? Your mother's already married. He half frowned. She could get a divorce. Are you in love with her? Fantasies were starting to pop like bubbles in his mind. I looked away. I don't know. I don't think so. Isn't she in love with you? I shook my head. She's not in love with Sharon. I felt the bone deep ache of his disappointment. Couldn't think of anything I could do that would ease it. Finally, I said, I think she loved your father. I know she loves you and your sister. You're more important to her than anything else in her life. Be glad. You, and then you could have been me, but I didn't say it. I wondered what it would be like to have been born a Taming, to have anything I ever wanted. I couldn't even imagine it. Even if, I'd had, if I hadn't been born rich, just to have had somebody there all those years, anybody. I looked away from him down at my scarred hands. He got up slowly. My mother said for me to ask if you'd think about her tonight. Yeah, I said, I'll do that. Good night, Gyro. He straightened his shoulders, trying hard to look like a man and not a boy. Good night, cat. He went out of the room. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's pretty deep. It was, yeah, this book was, has surprising depth. Like you look, you read the back, you look at the cover and you're like, what is this? Yeah. There's a lot to it. So of course I had to spend like 15 minutes at least trying to find this scene. And when I found it, whoa. Yeah. This. It's sort of like that that Duke book that you chose where it ended up we ended up just talking about stuff in society and mm -hmm. how it could be applied to today and how 
it was surprisingly good writing. And I've heard that a lot where we kind of knock women's romance books or science fiction, but they are a valid genre of books and they exist for a reason. People like them. People read them. Oh, and yeah. And like well, the only writer. reason that we read them so much here is because when you read them out of context, they could be very, very funny. Yes. Just like if you read a a historical fiction or anything like that. If you take something out of context, it's really funny. This, of course, we're not talking about this scene. That's not funny. Uh, it's a very sad scene. Um, and I didn't know if I wanted to bring up rape because it's a very touchy subject. And right. when you read a scene like that out of context, there's so many questions about what actually happened. And yeah, so the thing is, so I guess you're wondering too, so I'm just gonna go keep going with it. So I found the scene, and the thing about Kat is that he's a telepath, so he has the ability to read other people's emotions, get into their mind, just kind of what mm. he did. I was Dr. wondering, yeah, so that's what he said he was, that he was going into his memories, mm-hmm. so he can do that, and what happened was he went to a club and it was the Argentines club and the little boy, I don't even know how little he is, but the boy was there and he went off with Argentine to go dancing and left Kat there alone with all these other people at the table. And then all of a sudden Kat basically started to feel weird and it ends up reading like this very awkward group orgy scene where it's um, wait not that part it's yeah um da, da, da. he's like i struggled to sit up but the hands weighed me down the mouths the body the bodies soothing stroking caressing probing until my bones were rubber and my mind flowed into the drowning pool again, helplessly willing. Because these people were able to make it so that his, his thoughts would go into everybody else's. So they wanted him to be aroused so they could feel aroused. So they could feel everything that he felt. Wow. That's messed up. Mm -hmm. And so she comes back, and I'm not reading this whole thing, but so Argentine came back, and she was like, what the heck are y'all doing? This is disgusting. Y'all need to get dressed. Y'all need to get the hell out of here, basically. And then, um, so she's blaming him. She blames. She's blaming Kat because she didn't know what was going on. And then what they do is they discover there's a patch behind his ear. And the patch is something called a, a dose of easy. It takes okay. away your inhibitions and your self-control. So they basically a like rape drug. Yeah. So basically they gave him a rape drug. Aww. To make him do anything. And yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, that's disturbing. It's completely disturbing and horrific. And, yeah. 
And the way that it ends, I don't know how I, because he just kind of brushes it off. Like, oh, well, this is what happens. Never killed, it's never, I feel like it's a time because this book was published in 19, okay, so there's a copyright in 1971 and a copyright in 1988, okay? Yeah. So that's the time. And so his reaction to all of this, after he starts kind of getting everything together, he goes, um, he felt the, I felt the corners of my mouth twitch like a spasm. My brains aren't hanging out anymore. So yeah, I shrugged, nodded, because she was asking, are you okay? And he goes, yeah, sex never killed me before. I guess I'll live. Uh, yeah. And so it was just, oh, like that chin up and, oh, this happened to me. I'm not a victim. Yeah. Which is so, I guess, because we're on the when you're on the outside, it's easy to be like, oh no, like you're the victim. You should go advocate for yourself. You should go do this and that. And he just went through this. It's much more culturally acceptable to do that now and to talk about rape and to talk about, you know, even just like a weird situation like that where you seem to be consensual, but you're not. And, but is it, is that even a weird situation? Because isn't that a lot of the situations that people, not people like it, you can hear about it in, um, like, when, women yeah, at frat parties and different situations like that. Where for it's, a guy, too. Like, for the guy, I yes, that flip for the guy. Yes, uh, where it's, it's almost like a strength thing of, I mean, how many times do you hear about a guy who had a date rape drug and was raped, you know? Mm-hmm. It just, it really is flipping the script, and yeah, that's. I mean, I know I was talking to one guy during the Me Too movement, and he was talking about the all the sexual harassment that he's got gone through as well, you know, getting grabbed and different things, and it's not okay. It's never okay. No. It's just, yeah, so sci-fi bringing it home for real life situations to talk about wow Mm -hmm. okay well i guess i will pick a renovation oh yeah so this book has 454 pages i choose page 167 Okay, you brought us right back to that scene, so let's go for it. <laughs> what? <laughs> we do not have to read that if you feel uncomfortable. I can pick another page number. Uh, yeah, I, that could be a good idea. Yeah, let's just edit this whole part out. I choose. No, you don't have to edit it. It's we're consciously deciding not to read that part out loud. For okay. Alice's page three zero five. You know what I like about this book is it is an older book, so every time I flip through it, it's like 
it smells like fuck. <laughs> it smells like fuck. Yes, I love that smell. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start on the next page. So it just makes a little bit more sense. Okay. Dizzy with relief, I felt him turn me until I was fixed on the data citadel. He wanted me to see. A warping of density, no different from a million others I'd already seen. A chip, a blip, nothing impressive on the scale of most of the corporate constructions that had deformed the spectral bad badlands behind us. But there was something about it. It was too dense, almost smoky looking, somehow, hard to see into even with my ghost eyes. It looks funny. How do you know this is it? Take my word for it, dead eye thought. That's not good enough. I felt his irritation stab me again. We tracked a security checker from his lab address through about a dozen false stops to this. This is the end of the line. This is the real thing. Satisfaction now, sleek and smug. Where are we? Something bubbled through my mind, laughter. You mean we're in the world? On an orbital station out in Cicelunar space? Don't look down. I made a face or tried to. Why does it look like that? Cloudy privacy, real privacy. Most of the big combine cores look transparent because a lot of their business ain't hidden. Don't have to be. Believe me, the good stuff is under a lot of ice, deep in their cold, cold hearts. But that shouldn't make any difference to us, right? Something in the shifting tone of his thoughts made me uneasy. It could. The fact you can't see clear through it means Diath's security is a lot denser than most, that it covers more of the EM spectrum. We're part of the spectrum, kid, and don't you forget it. This system's too specific to be really sentient. Sentient. You can sense that. It's not curious, but it's a real good, it's real good at what it does. Shouldn't be any problem for somebody like you, though. You used to be a thief. It's the same kind of thing. Go on in there. Look like a pro. Remember all your tricks. Just don't lose your head. Don't even sneeze. You might trigger it. And if it starts looking, it might find you. Blow through the files till you see what you want and then pull it. What's this you? meaning me, shit. You're the cracksman. And you're the mental pickpocket. You know what you're looking for. I might miss something important. What are you bitching about? I'm paying you to do the hard part. You're paying for the chance to learn a new trade. The hard part is finding the place. We've done that. Go on. Just hold on to the link. Don't let go. Those data sinks all like dead stars. Their density so great it's hard to find the way out once you get inside. You come out in the wrong place and you could get all twisted around. Never find your way back where you started. Great. I felt him give me a mental shove. Felt my concentration begin to drift. My spectral body oozing out like protoplasm toward the place where Diaz kept his bodies buried. I tried to concentrate on why I started this insane trip. What I had to do to finish it. Felt my need energize me again. I felt the nothingness begin to slide, drawing me down and in faster and faster until I collided with the colorless, formless waiting wall that would stop, turn, turn back, destroy anything it could sense and codify, was sucked through it, through the ripples, through the ripple rings of glaring, burning silence, and swallowed up inside.
She's good. Yeah, I really feel as though I can visualize what she's written. It reminds me a little bit like of The Matrix, but different. I was going to say The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy again, which her book last week reminded me of that. Mm -hmm. But this this one's getting lost into code. And that's where I was going more towards The Matrix. I guess that's true. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's a very interesting book. It's a long book and there's, and I have a feeling there's a bunch of twists and turns in this thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Do I give away the last page? Yes. Oh man. Okay. You know what? I kind of like it that I'm, I thought about going to the page before, which would give away a name, but because I don't know, somebody might actually pick up this book. I don't want to give it away. Yeah. Because it, it's another character and I don't know. Okay, anyways. A credit for your thoughts, she said, almost whispering with an embarrassed twitch in her smile. I shook my head, smiling a little too. Don't waste your money. She held her arms pressed tightly against her chest. She was wearing a thin, short sleeve shirt and I realized how much she was feeling the cold. Sit down, I said suddenly, feeling selfish and sorry for it. She sat on the warming rocks beside me, and there was no tension in her body, no yearning, no anticipation in her mind. And I knew that. It wasn't much, but it was something. I put my arm around her shoulders, but it was only to help her stay warm, something a friend would do. We sat together a while longer, like two friends, watching the day come in. I like it. I do, too. That's why I don't want to give away who he's sitting with. Who is it? I'm not gonna tell you. On to my book. Yes, on to your book. I had some interesting reads trying to pick out the readings in here, I have to say. But I would also like to tell you about what's in the middle of my book. Oh. It says, wish you were here. You can be every month with zebra historical romance novels. And then they have this fiery picture, literally, of a guy with just like a flap and a string tied around his waist. A flap and a string? And either a snake or a flower lay around his neck. Mm-hmm. Got a long dress on, but it's falling off of her and her legs out. She's wearing sandals, and I guess they're on a beach, but there's fire all around them. Oh my goodness. I think that's supposed to, what is that supposed to be like island love? 
I'm not sure, but you That's a lot of definition in his butt. Like I like how you just zoomed into his butt because it looks it looks like a loincloth. It looks like he is wearing a loincloth. You identify it. Not his butt, but the the thing he's wearing. I, I No no that is a string and that is his butt cheek with a very muscular thigh. But he has no butt. I think he's supposed to be some sort of indigenous person. I know, but he's very obviously white. She's just whiter. He has no butt. (laughs) (laughs) Has no butt. It goes straight down. It like has this definition, like he's gonna have like a little bit of a boop, but there is no boop. It's just like it's just straight down flat butt. It says you're cordially invited to get swept away into new worlds of passion and adventure. That's it. I, I just wanted to share that with you. Okay, on to my reading. The buttless man. I really That's just in the middle of the book. You know how in historical books they have photos in the middle of the book? Yes. <laughs> they have that. They have to keep you intrigued. I'm intrigued. I want to know where his butt is. <laughs> Maybe it got burned off. <laughs> it, was, it was a plastic butt and it just dripped off because there's so much heat around them. Literally on fire. All right. Ugh. A bellowing voice louder than all the others called her name and Eve recognized her father. He would need her to interpret for him. He trusted no one else with so delicate a task. Let's meet what father and fate have brought me. Caitlin sniffed one last time and straightened her dainty shoulders. Together, they marched out of the tent and into the brilliant August afternoon. Sweaty, cursing knights swarmed about the place. Their big horses danced skittishly as Irish grooms and Welsh squires tried to get the animals into corrals. Eve started toward the Normans, gathered near her father, then stopped and stared. She could not help herself. He was magnificent. (laughs) Letting her gaze slide over the wide, powerful shoulders, then up the long neck to the refined, intelligent face, her pulse quickened into a pounding beat of raw excitement and greedy desire. She must have him. The need was born in her in an instant, a hunger so strong only possession could appease her desire. Wow. Strongly made with muscular long legs that promised a fiery grace and great speed. Did he have a butt? (laughs) He stood before her, so proud in his bearing she could believe him born of royalty. His muscular chest sculpted with rippling muscles was broad and deep, and his dark eyes full of liquid fire gazed steadily at her. How would he feel between her thighs, the hard muscles bunching and stretching beneath her? He was, without a doubt, the most splendid stallion she had ever seen. Dark bay, almost blood brown color, with black points and not a mark of white. She walked toward him fearlessly, her hand outstretched, and he bent forward to softly nip at her fingers with his velvet lips. She laughed with delight as he tossed his arrogant head. He knew he was handsome, the rogue. He flirted with her outrageously as she scratched his whiskered chin. I see my destrier meets your approval. 
She looked up into a pair of amused gray eyes and realized the man seated on the warhorse was quite as handsome as the animal. <laughs> Your face <laughs> muscular beneath her thighs. But did he have a butt? <laughs> I, I hope the horse had a butt. <laughs> Richard watched the woman approach his brawny gesture, M's, I guess, Emmys, E M Y S. E M Y S? E M Y S. And Emmys, yeah. No prior research done to the pronunciation of this name, by the way. It's all good. The great lout of a horse grew gentle as a spring lamb under her hand. It was unnerving thing to see. The Irish were Celts, like the Welsh, and he was accustomed to the occasional fey person. She was so small and delicately boned, surely a strong wind would carry her away. A peasant, no doubt, dirty and disheveled. Yet she had a glossy mane of silvery hair with small blue flowers stuck in it. Not artfully, but as though she had lain in them. If he had first seen her at night in a secret moon-silvered glade, he would have mistaken her for one of those part-human, part-fairy enchantresses said to live wild in the darkling forests. The horse, trained to attack anyone who came too near, appeared docile at the moment, and he saw no need to interfere. The animal leaned greedily into the woman's hand as she stroked his round cheek and sleek neck. She must have the gift of animals that Richard's mother, Isabella, so often regaled him in her fireside stories. One of his fondest childhood memories was of curling onto the hearth fur at his grandmother's feet, along with his considerable contingent of cousins, eating nuts they cracked with their hands, listening to the winter winds howl outside to keep the cold stone keep. As she, I'm sorry, listening to the winter winds howl outside the cold stone keep as she wove tales that transported them to times and places far away. There he first met Rosamond when he was a squire under the tutelage of his uncles. He admired the Irish woman's courage. Then again, perhaps she was simple-minded. She stared at him out of huge emerald eyes as though he were some sort of loathsome creature, extraordinary eyes. He surprised himself by the thought. When was the last time he had noticed a woman's eyes? I like what the writer did there. That was awesome. <laughs> See, when I was first reading it, I thought, okay, typical romance book fair. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is going on for a while. Okay, wow, this is really going on for a while. Yeah. And then, boom, it's the horse. I like that. I was about to be like, is there some sinful hair happening here in a second? Because <laughs> it stopped right at the hair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. The back of the book. Oh, yes. As pretenders fight for the Irish throne. When her father is dethroned by a usurper, Eve McMurrow, Princess of Leinster, I have no idea how to say that. Leinster, is forced to wed Richard de Clare, Earl of Pembroke. Cursing her fate, she vows never to give her heart to the despised Norman Baron, who may be her destiny, but will never be her desire. Mm-hmm. A man and a woman find a love that will heal the wounds of treachery. One of the most powerful noblemen in Wales, de Clare has lost his prized lands to satisfy King Henry II's insatiable greed. 
now dispatched to Ireland to help McMurro regain his realm, Declare is determined to reclaim his own pride and riches, never dreaming that the conquest of the land will pill beside the rapturous passion his new bride awakens in his soul. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> this book is called The Conquered Heart. It is by Tony Cody. Mm -hmm. And it has a beautiful silver kind of Celtic looking border around it of these very thin dogs, I think they are. And then a long, this one has long red hair, which I kind of thought they described her hair as being silver, but okay. Yeah. And she's wearing kind of a medieval looking dress. She has a little band of gold showing that she's a princess and she's putting a sword down on this guy as though she's knighting him. And he mm -hmm. is kneeling before her. He's muscular. He has all his clothes on. And mm -hmm. his hair is typical 80s fair. I think I saw this book. No. Yes. Wait. Wait. <gasps> Did you buy it? Did I get it? I almost got it. Oh my gosh. I yes, I just saw this book. I almost got it's it. The dollar. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, I forgot. There's a jealous guy looking on in the background. Of course there is. And he looks like he's from the Knights of Templar. The Knights of Templar. <laughs> Maybe she dyed her hair so nobody would know she's a princess. Mm. Maybe. Mm-hmm. All right, on to my second. Because back then they had bleach to make their hair blonde. <laughs> yeah. Let's keep it historically accurate. I chose this reading especially for you. Oh, yes. The horse is in it. Don't worry. The horse is in it. I mean, I like parts with animals. He looked up at the sky with its high scattered clouds and patches of clear blue. We may be safe from rain for a few hours. Where's that place you told me of? Are we near? Typical Norman accent from yes. the yeah, actor extraordinaire. Yes, that is exactly how they sound. <laughs> Let, let's get that Irish accent next. <laughs> this is Irish. Just there, beyond that great oak tree. <laughs> Love it. We, we rode. I'm imagining myself in this story. Yes. They rode towards the tree, and Eve's excitement heightened. She had discovered this cloistered place years ago, and often came here to be alone when the world crowded in on her. Here in her private world, she could escape for a few hours. Now she was going to share it with Richard. Slowly, she was learning to share all of the little corners of her life with him. Soon, there would be no secrets left. In the lee of a hill, a secluded meadow grew, ringed with rowan, which were just beginning to bud. In another month, they would be in bloom, and the meadow would be covered with soft grass, ferny bracken, and bluebells. Now it was a pale new green just coming back from sodden winter. It's not at its best this early in the year, she said, letting him help her down from the saddle. We'll come back this summer after the baby's born. It's glorious then. 
It's not bad now, he said, holding her close. They stood quietly, enjoying the view in the sweet, clean scent of early spring. The horses lowered their heads to the tender grass and began to feed. Was it only eight months since this man rode into her life? She felt she had known him forever, as though they were linked in eternity, and her life before him had been a time of waiting. Now life and love grew in her, and she felt an overwhelming urge to revel in it here in this secret place. Did you bring a blanket? she asked. It's in my saddlebag with the food. He released her to fetch their meal. I need to relieve myself. When don't you these days? Just set the food out to Clara. I'm hungry. I don't know why I'm going southern with her. <laughs> well, I mean, it's when, they, when, they're, when they're in Ireland. <laughs> he bowed to her in mocking subservience, and she pushed at his hard chest. Laughing, he toppled over into the grass as though her touch felled him. He would have pulled her down on top of him, but she stepped aside and skittered away. Walking into the surrounding shrubs and behind some rocks where he could not see, she quickly slipped out of her clothing. Shivering, she put the warm cloak back on, careful to hold it closed in the front. Plastering an innocent look on her face, she walked back to where he sat waiting, food spread out around him on the blue wool blanket. I hope you're hungry, he said. Look at all the food the kitchen sent. There's cheese and cold salmon and young onions and cider. Too bad it's lint or we could have had some lamb with that mint sauce. Cook is so good at making. Well, what are you doing? She waited until he looked at her, then slowly, gracefully, she raised her hand to the brooch that held her cloak clasped at her neck. The fur-lined garment fell from her shoulders to reveal her nakedness. She noted the quick, hungry look in his gray eyes. He's like, damn it, can't we eat that? <laughs> old already. It's light, I can't have meat. <laughs> That's his first thought. Put <laughs> on that lamb with the mint sauce. I don't know why I'm making him southern again. Okay. Raising her arms above her head, she began to sway to slow, gentle music that played in her head. She danced in the cool, wet grass until her feet sparkled with drops of dew like quicksilver. Turning slowly one way and then the other, she moved in an ancient abandon, wild as the ponies that wander the hills, gentle as the spring sun, pagan as the voice of the water rushing over the rocks in the river, her belly thrust out proudly in front, her breasts heavy and blue-veined with her pregnancy. Why are her breasts pregnant? They're, they're, they're already becoming Bursting. bigger. They're becoming bigger because of her pregnancy. Blue-veined with her pregnancy, bounced as she moved, and the nipples hardened in the cool air. But at least they weren't twisty, wasn't it? What was that? Crinkly. closed. She felt like a goddess of the old religion, pregnant with the world, fertile, life-giving, bountiful. Her hands went to her hair and began to unweave the braids until the abundant veil of it flowed unrestrained behind her. The hair tickled her back, her thighs, her breasts, and she laughed. 
The groan, deep and wild, from Richard made her smile wider. She glanced at him from under her lashes, looking over her shoulder. He was naked and magnificent. She held out her hand to them. To him, not to them. There's a little guy. <laughs> they were savage and pure and timeless together under the racing clouds with the ancient hills to bear witness. When they were done, they lay exhausted and content and fed each other bits of cheese and drank the cider until their blood cooled. Then they slept, their cloaks over their nakedness, curled into each other, her buttocks against his hips. His hand draped over her belly with the child kicking softly. I think that's it. I, the part I was about to cut in and be like, wait, was it red hair or blonde hair? Was it red or blonde? I think that was in my other reading where he talked about my hair. Yeah, I was just, because on the cover it's red and in the reading it was blonde. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. Fox Potter being Faye. Yes, yet she had a glossy mane of silvery hair. Yeah. And it's red on the cover. It's red. It's kind of that bright Anna Green Gables when she was red, red before it yeah. became Auburn. Mm -hmm. Oh, pregnant lady sex she dances for him first I know I like how she was like let me do the I'll, I'll answer in only a robe and then goes the robe and then I'm making my own music to be a dancer the pagan voice of the water mm -hmm. pagan voice of the water I like but was she dancing for him or the horse? Because the horse was there too. Both of the horses were there, like just grazing over on the side. I don't know. She wiped the horse between her thighs too. So we don't know what happened. They just got hot and heavy, and then they ate. We don't know who's eating. <laughs> it's like Catherine the Great. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Only a rumor. Only a rumor. Um, uh, I did find that I like the imagery there. The whole the whole moment was kind of funny. I was just expecting somebody like to show up on them at any moment. No, it's a very private place that only she knows. Mm -hmm. Very private. Of course, only she knows about it. Yes. I like that she says she has to pee and then he says, when do you not? How <laughs> <laughs> do you answer? She's pregnant. She's heavily pregnant. Her breasts are blue. <laughs> blue veined. They're not blue. They're just blue veined and slightly crinkly. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think I I like the imagery in the scene for sure. Yes. Yes. I'm I'm so happy that scene was specifically picked up for me. I just thought you would like that he's complaining about Lent. I just thought that was so funny. And this is like so random in there. He's like, look at all this wonderful food. Do I have meat? But it's okay. Now you're naked. Yeah, now I've forgotten about it. And we'll just feed each other bits of cheese and drink cider. That sounds <laughs> ideal to me. It took him five seconds or less to get out of his clothes. I know. I like that he she turns back to him and he's naked over her shoulder. Yeah. She's like, here we go. 
Dancing and naked dancing in the grove. Okay. You wow. have three hundred and eighty-three pages to choose from. Hmm. Two ninety-five. Two ninety-five for the lady. Uh huh. It's funny because this is the page before what I just read. Oh, wait, so I should get something different then, huh? If you want. Okay. How are we managing that, that one today? That's oh, that was pretty good. in a row. Yeah, connected. Okay. Um, you said 350-something? 383. 383. All right, then let's do 350. 350. Heading towards the end there. He came to stand before her, his hand reaching out to cradle the baby's downy head. Do you think I could ever risk you in that way? I say no. His gray eyes were filled with such raw pain and helplessness, it was all she could do not to give in to him. She may be your best choice, Richard. Who else can you trust to understand everything Rory says and give it back to you true? She knows both languages equally well. Eve is the logical choice. Logic be damned. She's my wife. I think that might have been a man that has such a light voice. <laughs> we don't do that. I was trying to figure, I thought they were having a conversation, but apparently there's a third person here. So they just have a light voice, male or female, whomever they are. Ian laid a hand on Richard's arm, peered up into his tormented eyes. As your wife, this is Eve now, not the other light voiced person that sounds like her. As your wife, my place is beside you and I do this willingly. Do you forget it is Ilis Isabella's, Isabella's life and that of all the children of Dublin that we will bargain for? I know Rory O'Connor to be an honest man. He'll listen to us and give a safe passage back to Dublin. Whether he will agree to our terms, I can't predict, but hear them he will. I think this is the other light-voiced person. I'm going to give him a slightly deeper voice so that you can know who it is. I think you should just give them a nice Irish accent. <laughs> can you say that after what happened to Egan? <laughs> Redmond asked. <laughs> Please don't come after me. For my... <laughs> Memory of Egan's death, still so vivid in her mind, caused a swift wave of nausea to through her. That was Haskell, not Rory. She shuddered at the thought of the Norse murderer in Rory's train, but even that she would endure if she could bargain Isabella's safety. She would beg if need be, though she hesitated to tell Richard that his pride was already severely tested, forced to wait helplessly in Dublin while part of his army sat in Wales, unable to cross to Ireland. Sorry for the mix-up in the voices. I, I love the Irish voice, though. That was amazing. <laughs> that was way better than what I would do. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Um, all right. Last page. 
kind of weird that he doesn't want her help whatsoever, though. It's interesting because, so right after the first reading that I did, Mm -hmm. basically he finds out that she's his betrothed because his translator's translating for him and is making it so polite and all this stuff. And she starts laughing like a crazy person. And he thinks that she's crazy. And then she says, that's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, (laughs) you're late. Where's the rest of your damn army? And um, then her father gets mad at her and yells her name. And he realizes that that's his betrothed. Oh, crazy like wild haired woman who was apparently she was out playing with her dog in the mud or something when they called her to meet him so Hmm. anyway she's she's better at translating than his own guy and she's more honest so I don't know why he wouldn't trust her he's just a moron apparently because it's the wife and she should just be dancing naked and taking care of their baby with a downy head yeah I mean she's got confidence that's for sure I was listening to this book today. It has nothing to do with this, and it's a really good book. But there was this one scene where the father's meeting his new baby, and uh-huh. the nurse hands it to him and is talking to him, and then said, it said that she took her finger and swirled it around the soft spot on the baby's head. And I thought, what an odd thing to one do but two to think of to put into a book unless you'd seen it like Mm -hmm. very weird to think about I don't know speaking of baby's heads okay last page you can't have Dublin the king no longer looked at him but back over his shoulder as though growing bored with the conversation my lord Dublin is mine but lice Leinster, I can grant you. I have no idea how to say that name. Mm-hmm. He turned back again to face Richard, this time raised an admonishing finger. But as my vassal and not some independent princeling, you'll do homage for your lands just as you do for the other fiefs I allow you. And only if you help me bring this Rory O'Connor to heel. He's the only one worth worrying about from what I gather. That damned falcon ruined one of my best birds. Bloody hell, it's time I sailed for Ireland. I've spent too much time dallying, dallying here as it is. We leave before the week's end. He turned his horse about and trotted away. Did he just grant us permission to return to Ireland? Eve asked. Richard's face split into a wide grin as he laughed and looked down at his wife. That he did. We're going home, princess. Home, she thought. It was a place. Now she knew it was a man. Yeah. <laughs> your voice look, your voice your face looks really confused you have no voice <laughs> i know I, i'm very confused because that doesn't sound like an end that's like the next phase of whatever they're supposed to be doing this might be part of a series because i know this author writes a lot of romantic historical fiction ah Okay, so she does have a little author's note mm-hmm. where she talks about basically Richard Strongbow declare King Henry II, Dermont McMurrow, and Rory O'Connor were all historical figures, but she had a hard time finding the 
female characters information and so was married to eve who was a princess but nobody really understands what their marriage was like or knows what their marriage was like so she wrote a love story about oh okay yeah so that's sweet yeah yeah i'm glad that they had such a good marriage good for them yeah i know having sex with pagan sounds in the background while they're fasting for Lent. I mean, at least it's like a pagan brook. It's not like pagan swine, like... (laughs) 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 The sounds of pagan swine in the background. (laughs) It's like, ah, this is so romantic. Ah. Can you stop grunting, please? That's not me. That's the pagan swine. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like these big swans come through. Wah, wah. Oh my god! They'd probably sound more like geese, but oh well. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. Um. Just like we talked about last week, I just wanted to say, um, if you've had something happen to you please go find someone to talk to. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Know that you're not alone. Um, Lara and I are both big supporters of therapy and there are free hotlines. Mm-hmm. If you need the national suicide hotline or if you're international, if you're not in the U S I'm sure there are hotlines in your country as well. Mm-hmm. And also support groups for other people who have had, um, are victims of sexual assault as well, male or female, because it happens to both people. Yeah. Both people, (laughs) just two people. (laughs) To both people. (laughs) To um, both genders. And we don't want to forget that. It happens to all genders, no matter what all you ages identify yeah. as. It can oh. happen to you. Sorry, I shouldn't say both. Yeah, I wrong. Out. Mm. Thanks. That's a word. Duo. <laughs> but um, yes, so please reach out for help. Know that you're not alone. Know that um, there can be somebody who is there to listen and to help you through it and your story is important and could be helpful to somebody else as well yes Mm -hmm. yep yeah and i mean go read a book and drink water i I think that we always forget now to say drink water (laughs) just kidding Mm -hmm. Listen to the dueling dukes, and I'm like, and drink water, warm water, <laughs> warm water for your voice. Um, you can. Oh, we forgot to say, if you have any stories that you want to share with us, um, please email us, or you can find us on Instagram. You can email us, email, email, email yeah. us at literarylaughing at gmail.com. Or you can find us on The Literary Laughing on Instagram. We don't have a Facebook or a Twitter right now or a TikTok 
or all of those things. That's just way too advanced for what we're able to do at the moment. This is a hobby. This is not our life. No offense. Yeah. Listener. But we very much appreciate you listeners and we would love to hear from y'all. You can give us stuff to post other than our book covers. That'd be cool. Because we'd love to post your little excerpts on our Instagram. Yeah. Just snap a quick picture of your favorite random paragraph out of a book completely out of context our favorite that'd be so much fun guess the book based on what the paragraph is out of context (laughs) you nerds unite um but yeah so thanks for listening and as lara said go read a book bye